Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Roost Podcast. As always, I am Carter Spires, here with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the director and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for Rice Sports news and analysis. Quick intro for us this week, uh, hopefully, usually, we, <laughs> uh, you know, ideally have anything to talk about, but you never know with us at this point. Just the standards, so our rate, review, and subscribe, uh, share the show with a friend, um, Matt's got some announcements about the uh, season preview coming up, but uh, then we're just going to hop straight into uh, talking to Ben Carlisle from uh, Bleed Tech Blue about uh, all things Louisiana Tech as we continue our opponent previews for the 2022 season. So uh, we'll hop into that in just a second. Yeah, I mean, it is mid-June, so there's there's literally, well, I say there's literally nothing going on. Rice did have, what, 100-plus kids on campus for, for camp this week. So something's going on. Three commitments. That's pretty good. But that's not what we're talking about. Um, preview. Uh, season preview that is going to launch on June 29th. I told you all last week, this is kind of a second reminder and a, a special bonus. If you are a new subscriber on Patreon, uh, it's 10 bucks a month. You get the season preview for free. So stick around. All Patreon's going to have all our position previews, um, features, all sorts of stuff, stuff leading up to fall camp. So you get fall camp. We have a quarterback battle. Again, that was actually a pre-recorded segment, Carter, from last year <laughs> and the year before. Yeah, it's just a soundbite that we're recycling at this point. So, but it's all in there, and I know, I know, because we're all football-brained people, that you are going to come back and read about the Rice quarterback competition for the nth year in the row. That's one of the reasons this works. So, uh, go ahead, subscribe. Uh, next Wednesday, go pick up the preview. Uh, five pages on every team, uh, all conference picks, things like that. So should be fun. And that uh, that's all I got. I guess we will uh, we can jump into the, the meat and potatoes. Did I say that in Louisiana? That's gumbo. Yeah, there we go. Straight to the gumbo. All right. And we are here now with uh, Ben Carlisle of D-Tech Blue to talk all things Louisiana Tech. How's it going, man? Oh, pretty good, fellas. Thanks for having me on today. Anything interesting uh, happened in the past oh, nine or so months with the Louisiana Tech football? Same old, same old? Uh, yeah, same old, same old. Let me tell you, uh, obviously uh, a lot going on. Uh, obviously, conference realignment. Uh, I think you and I, or me and you guys, uh, talked a little bit about that before we came on. Uh, how crazy that roller coaster has been. Obviously, Louisiana Tech's going to be one of the uh, schools that sticks around in Conference USA, at least for a little while, uh, I guess, as we kind of see how this thing will shape out over the next few years. Uh, the Bulldogs also went 3-9 and nine on the gridiron in 2021, resulted in a coaching change. Uh, Skip Holtz out after nine years at Louisiana Tech, which, uh, as we've talked about in years past, it kind of seems a little bit crazy that he was at Louisiana Tech for nine years, but he, he was. It was a great run. You kind of look at how it finished, especially over the last couple of years. It, it kind of makes you wonder. You go back to 2019, you finish 10-3, and and then COVID hits 2020. I, I think everyone across the country was a little uneven. Tech managed to go 5-5 five and five that year, but it, it, you could really feel like uh, a lot of the momentum within the program was slowed down. It, it, you could definitely uh, tell that was the case in 2021. So, uh, here we are getting ready uh, for the 2022 football season uh, to start up here in a couple of months. And uh, new head coach Sonny Cumbie 
uh, was hired back in December. Uh, I know a lot of you guys from the state of Texas will be familiar with Combi played quarterback at Texas Tech, uh, came from Texas Tech, where he's the offensive coordinator, spent some time at TCU as well. Uh, so I know the Louisiana Tech fan base is fired up, and they're re- really ready uh, to get back to a high-powered offensive style of football here in 2022. Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about that because I feel like going into last season, I mean, we talked with the guys at Mean Green 247 about Seth Luttrell and, you know, the situation surrounding his job. There were a handful of, you know, fan bases around Conference USA. Dana Dimmel at UTEP was like, hey, like, is this going to be the year or are you going to have somebody different? And I think talking to you before the season, it was like, well, you know, Skip's got to, you know, finally contend for a conference championship but it wasn't like and if he doesn't goodbye uh have you kind of like wrapped your, your head around or the uh yeah. the coaching change or is it just kind of like all right uh, new hope yeah well i think a lot of it you know so, so many times we look at coaches that uh get forced out or end up leaving programs and we and i feel like we always talk about how coaches have a lifespan at a university and, and i think that's a lot more of it uh, versus that, you know, Skip was fired for one, three, and nine season. I, I think we had kind of reached that point where, you know, you could tell that the fan base, the newness, the excited, exciting brand of football had kind of worn off. And I don't know uh, if, if you know, you can blame Skip's staff for that as much. Obviously, if you win a bunch of football games, that kind of solves everything. But you know, if you have a year like last year, kind of what can you do to kind of keep that fan base around and keep that hope up? Uh, I don't think that that aspect of it was able to kind of keep the fan base fired up. And, you you know, you look at last year and, you know, you're, you're up 30, was it 34-14 in the fourth quarter against Mississippi State in the season opener. You lose on a Hail Mary to SMU. You lose on a last-second field goal, but it was the last play of the game against ODU. You lose at the buzzer against uh, NC State on the road in Raleigh. I mean, there were so many games throughout last season, and that was only four. Uh, I think there were six or seven games last year that were decided by one score in the final few minutes. And, and those four examples right there were the final plays of the game. So uh, if you win two of those games, to skip on to the head coach in 2022, absolutely. But uh, Louisiana Tech was only able to do that. And I, I think that that lifespan of a head coach is probably what caught Skip and why Louisiana Tech's looking at a new head coach here in 2022. Well, it's not just going to be a new head coach. Obviously, you got a new staff coming in. And something that I think, especially at the Group of Five level, we've seen kind of be pivotal is the quarterback, right? Came in and had a, a new guy last year and kind of shuffled by the end of the season. Uh, I guess it was it was J.D. Head, who I think now is the mm-hmm. fifth-string guy at North Texas. I lost track of how many quarterbacks they have over there. So what's the quarterback situation, and, and what's the confidence level here? Because, you know, you mentioned Sonny Cumbie. This is going to be the air raid. You're going to have a lot of balls going across the air. Who is going to throw them? Do we have any clarity? Yeah, I think that's probably the, the big question mark about this team as you kind of get into things and start trying to figure out how good they can possibly be and – you know, you guys are familiar, Smoke Harris, Trey Harris, Griffin Bear, uh, Keon Henry Brooks, a transfer from Vanderbilt a year ago. They, they got some talent at the skill spots, but quarterback-wise is a huge question mark. Matthew Downing uh, was brought in as a transfer from TCU. Obviously, Cumbie had some familiarity with him 
uh, from his days back in Fort Worth. They bring in Parker, Parker McNeil, uh, fifth-year or sixth-year guy, I guess now transfer from Texas Tech. Uh, I believe those two guys, you know, you, you look at, you know, two – I think Downey has two years of eligibility. McNeil has one. You're like, oh, yeah, we got some veteran guys. Well, they've combined to throw 44 passes in their collegiate career. You sign Landry Liddy, who is the Gatorade Player of the Year here in the state of Louisiana. And you're feeling, you know, with Liddy, he's probably the guy that, you know, a year and a half from now, he's probably the starter and you feel really good about yourself. But going into, you know, fall camp right now, I'd say Downing's probably the leader in the clubhouse. And, I don't know if I would say he's head and shoulders better than Parker McNeil or better than Landry Liddy, but he does have an element. He can use his legs a little bit. Uh, and, and I think for Coach Cumbie and his staff is they just wanted an older guy, you know, familiarity within the system uh, to help a young guy like Liddy learn the offense. So uh, to be honest with you, I think the quarterback question mark won't be answered Maybe not even three or four games into the year. Uh, it could take well into conference play before Louisiana Tech truly settles on a guy. And that and that could be Landry Liddy, depending on how uh, the first three or four games of the season goes. Honestly, that's just a little bit reassuring to hear that Rice is not the only team that doesn't have their quarterback situation <laughs> figured out in June. Well, and I think, too, you know, you, you, we, we look back to last year, I think, you know, it was around July, early July, when Tech kind of settled in and, and went out and got Austin Kendall as a graduate transfer. And, you know, we saw Called Kendall, him off a desk job or something, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think he was selling pharmaceuticals in Dallas. But, you know, we, we saw him the first three, four weeks of the year, and you're like, how has this guy not had uber amounts of success in college football? Like, he's the real deal. And, you know, you look up at the end of the year and you've only won three games. So, uh, you know, this is probably the first time in a really, really long time that Louisiana Tech has truly had uh, just no idea um, who's going to play quarterback or where they've had a multitude of options as far as who could end up winning that job. And you did mention some of the other guys. It's not like whoever wins the job is going to be, you know, hamstrung they're going to have plenty of options you went went down the list of wide receivers obviously smoke harris i feel like is he's one of those guys for whatever reason i think he might not be maybe as big of a name in conference usa circles as he could be maybe that's a function function of uh i don't know be more of a having the special teams gadget guy maybe persona but obviously he's got talent and if you can just get the ball in his hands him and this offense could be very very exciting yeah, I, th I think the big thing with Smoke Harris and the, the thing that I've kind of, now that Skip Holtz has moved on and, and you hire a new guy like Sonny Cumbie, you kind of wonder how you use a guy like Smoke Harris. He's not necessarily a true receiver. Um, he's probably a little undersized to play running back as well. He's more of that offensive type weapon. And, and so I'm excited to see from, you know, from my standpoint, just the different ways that Cumbie and his offensive staff try to get the ball in his hands. You know, the the speed sweeps, the you know, line them up in the backfield for five or six carries a game, whatever we might see. Uh, I'm excited to see, you know, what they might do to utilize his skill sets. But they do have a lot of talent. I, I mean, Trey Harris last year, uh, he dealt – he's a younger receiver. I think he's going into year three now. Um, you know, you talk to members of the staff, wow, like how is this guy at a place like Louisiana Tech, 6'2", 6'3", 
200 pounds. The numbers don't jump off the page at, at you, but dealt with a hamstring injury three, four weeks last year. So some of that kind of stuff held him back. And so he's going to have to emerge as that number one weapon on the outside. They added Devontae Lee uh, transfer from LSU, who's that 6'2 range, 230 pounds, can play some slot, can play some tight end. So I'm just interested to see how Cumbie in this new system, like you mentioned, more of an air raid, spread it out, spread it out type style. How do you use some of these pieces that don't necessarily fit what you want to do offensively, but how can you utilize the, their talents to the best of your ability as a coach in year one as you try to get this thing off the ground and running? Yeah, and I guess that were there any indications in the spring as to what kind of particular direction? Obviously, there there is the air raid background with Cumbie, and he you know was at Texas Tech both as a player and a coach with Leach, so that is sort of the the purest air raid tree, the, you know, you know, four or five possible play combinations basically. And, and you're just throwing it 70 times a game. But uh, that, that tree is, is all through college football now and has, has a million different variations. And obviously uh, the first year with a new roster, you're sort of adjusting the players you have, but uh, at this point, kind of to what extent can you, have you been able to sort of suss out what, how they're going to incorporate that offense with this roster. Yeah, I think that's the big question. I think when Sonny Cumbie was hired initially, that was the thought process for the fans around the program. It's like, all right, here we go. Like, we're getting back to Louisiana Tech football, late 90s, early 2000s, Tim Rattay, Luke McCown. We're throwing this thing 70 times a game. Now that you dive into it a little further, you see that, you know, Cumbie, while he does run the air raid, a lot of the same similar concepts, he will run the football. There, there were a couple of years uh, where he led the Big 12 in rushing at TCU. Obviously, uh, the, the, that quarterback was headlined, I believe, by Trevon Boykin, who was a really good college quarterback in his days. And you watch, you know, the, the big thing for Tech fans, they watched that Liberty Bowl with Texas Tech playing Mississippi State. And that was a team at Texas Tech last year that was predicated on a run-first offense. Now, do I think he's bringing that style to Louisiana Tech? I don't. I, I think that he wants to throw the ball around the yard. But like you said, um, he doesn't necessarily have that personnel. I think particularly at quarterback, a guy that you can really throw the ball 40, 45, 50 times a game. Uh, so I, I think early on in the year we'll see, uh, you know, a 50-50 mix or, or somewhere uh, in that neighborhood. But the further and further he gets into his career, uh, especially when you see a guy like Landry Liddy, that eventually takes over the range of quarterback, I think that's when you'll start seeing Louisiana Tech really get back to throwing the football where the run game is just a short passing game like we see so often uh, with that air raid style offense. Yeah, and it's interesting because Marcus Williams is gone in the backfield, so it's not. it would be, I guess, easier to make that transition and kind of ease into things if you had that that veteran guy who's, who's proven. I, I guess the other options – uh, a couple under or upperclassmen there, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, but but nobody that you can probably say, okay, yeah, we can we can give this guy the rock 200 times this year. Well, the the only thing is, and, and I I say that I'm in the minority. I think Keon Henry Brooks was a guy that um, he totaled over a thousand yards in the COVID year at Vandy, and last year transfers in doesn't get to tech till the middle of the summer. You mentioned Marcus Williams had already transferred in from Appalachian State, and it kind of felt like 
Williams was the guy from the get-go. So Henry Brooks was a little bit slower getting going. Um, I think he's a guy that's extremely talented. Now, is he going to lock in day-to-day throughout, you know, for 31 days in in fall camp and, and really earn that true number one running back role? I think that's what's to be determined. But if he does prove that, I think he can be a guy that they give the ball to 20, 25 times a game, whether that's rushing or, you know, catching the ball out of the backfield. Beyond that, I would completely agree with you. I think Greg Garner uh, is a Juco kid that came in a couple of years ago. He's got some talent, but he's more of a downhill running back, not going to really blow you away with his speed or his ability out of the backfield. And beyond those two guys, there's a lot of youth in that backfield uh, that they're really trying to uh, kind of bring along and not put too much on uh, early in their careers. And then we haven't talked about it yet, but uh, offensive line just in general uh, got I think three or five returning starters. How do you feel about the unit as a whole? What pieces you got coming back? Uh, I, you know, Tech's really struggled up front for the last two years, both 2020, 2021. I, I have a hard time seeing it being much better here in 2022. And that's, not to say that, you know, the guys aren't working hard or the head coach or the offensive line coach is not doing a good job. I, I'm just not sure how much true talent there is up front, especially at the tackle spots. Uh, Dakota White's back. He's a third-year kid out of Katy, Texas. You know, he's played a lot of football in his first two years in his career. So uh, I'd be interested to see if he really steps up and kind of, you know, takes that right tackle spot by his play on the field or does he kind of back into that right tackle spot because nobody's as good as he is. And then the other side at the left tackle spot, uh, Byron Rossell, fifth-year guy, uh, suffered a a bad leg injury two years ago and just hasn't been the same since he got back. So it's just really at the tackle spots is is where it's most concerning for Louisiana Tech. They're really good on the interior. Uh, Abe Delphin, Josh Moat, two guys have been around the program forever. Isaac Ellis uh, as a transfer they brought in from Memphis. That started, you know, I think he started somewhere around 20 games in his career, has played in 40 games. So they got a lot of experience on the interior of the offensive line. But I think in determining how good the offensive line really is, is going to be determined uh, by how good those tackles are. Yeah, I think it's just going to be an interesting experiment, especially in, in year one. I mean, this was a top five passing offense in the league last mm-hmm. year which uh, is pretty impressive given how much just churn they went through, uh, you know, throughout the season. And by the time they got to the, I mean, J.D. Head, how many, how many yards did he throw for against Rice? It was like 220s, 250, something like that. Well, um, and, and, you know, you, you talk about a guy like J.D. Head, and, you know, who knows where he ends up when he gets to North Texas now that they've brought in so many different transfer quarterbacks. But, if he was back at Louisiana Tech for year three, year four of his career, I think there would be a lot more comfort. I mean, he's a kid that he could throw the football, and he made a ton of mistakes as a redshirt freshman. But that game experience that he got down the stretch, I think Tech went on the road last year with him and put up 38 points on the road at UAB. And, you know, you look at the teams that have done that across this league over the last four or five years, I, I bet it'd be few and far between. So uh, the, the quarterback play to me, offensively uh, is going to predicate, and I hate to say for the entirety of the team when you look at a win-loss record, but I really believe that could be the case because if they get good quarterback play, all right, you might have a six or a seven-win team. or You know what I'm saying. It might possibly make a bowl game. 
if you don't get quarterback good quarterback play and you play three or four guys like you did a year ago, well, then you're probably looking at, you know, a three and nine, four and eight type year uh, where you're kind of searching for answers as you head into 2023. But it, it'll be interesting to watch it all play out on the offensive side. Well, that assessment sounds, sounds uncomfortably familiar, I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but you guys know, and you guys have seen it firsthand. It's like you can have all the talent in the world, but college football, and I guess the NFL is uh, as well these days, is so much predicated on how good that quarterback is. And, and if your quarterback is merely just a game manager, it's so hard to put up a significant amount of points week in and week out. Yeah, and that's and part of that especially is I don't know, it's it's the especially in college football where there's such a disparity when it comes to I feel like like efficiency, like <laughs> you ask an NFL running back to 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 block this way, he blocks it right 96 times out of 100. Yeah. You ask mm-hmm. a college running back to do it, it's 65. And so like yeah. You break that down at quarterback, and the weight is just so much more. No, I, I agree completely, and I think you know you you we've talked a lot about Tech's twenty twenty one season, but you know when they got into some of those games when Aaron Allen and JD Head were playing, it was like, all right, do we try to win this game twenty four to twenty, or do we try to you know win it like forty five forty two, similar to that Rice game last year, the last game of the year, and JD Head throws four interceptions, so it's like you know you kind of got to pick you know, which side of the sword you want to fall on. And so that's what makes it so difficult when you don't have that true quarterback that you can really lean on uh, on a third and seven late in the game. He can really, you know, move the sticks for you and kind of keep things going. And and I think that's what Tech has to find offensively at quarterback is, you know, what what are your strengths? How do we play to our strengths? Are we a run first team? Do we really want to throw the football a lot? Because like we've talked about throughout this, they got talent at the skill spots. It's just figuring out how to best utilize that talent to put up points on the school board. And part of that's going to be keeping people off the school board too. And that yeah. was that was a, a, just a, a problem for Louisiana Tech last year, uh, especially late. So I guess when, when talking about the defense, I think we need to break this into two parts. Uh, we can have the Tyler Grubbs portion of the discussion and then the everybody else part of the discussion. Cool. So – I guess start with the grubs uh, because he came on as a freshman a couple years ago and now at this point and was like, oh, no, maybe he'll fix in and then just became the star of this team almost overnight. Is that yeah, fair? Uh, yeah, I think that's fair to say. And I think you look at a lot of Louisiana Tech struggles the last two years. Uh, they haven't had a whole lot of depth. And when you don't have a whole lot of depth, especially at corner, especially at safety, you're going to get exposed in a hurry. Uh, unless you have premier pass rushers, which Tech hasn't had. So um, you look at a guy like Tyler Grubbs, like you said, he's been really good his first two years. Uh, Scott Power hired as the new defensive coordinator coming over from Stephen F. Austin. I think he's also going to do a better job uh, of getting Grubbs into more positions that allow his, you know, allow his skill set to shine even further. He's a kid that you know, when you ask him to go man-to-man with the tight end, it's probably not a strength of his. When you tell him to go find the football, he's going to go find the football. He's really good uh, rushing the passers, an underrated portion of his game. He's really good at obviously getting the ball carrier down. So I think that's the biggest change we'll see from 2021 to 2022 defensively 
is it'll be a more attacking style of defense that Scott Powers put together from SFA. And I, I know we're going to get to this, but they've added so many transfers on that defensive side of the ball. Uh, it's hard to even keep count. But that's what they kind of needed because a year ago, they only had three guys that could even be thrown out on the field at corner. I, I mean, you can get through a college football season with three corners. So now they got five or six guys that they feel comfortable with. And I think that gives the defensive coordinator more comfort as far as some of the things that he ends up wanting to do uh, schematic-wise on that side of the ball. And I do want to jump right into that because you mentioned the transfers, and I think this is interesting and just kind of a a new dynamic that we're seeing in college football with the transfer portal. Obviously, last year you had uh, Zach Kitley go to Western Kentucky and bring – what, 75% of the yeah. Houston Baptist offense with him? Uh, you mentioned uh, Powers coming in, new D.C. from SFA. Uh, brought a couple corners with him. Might be Louisiana Tech's starting corners by the time we get through some point of the year. Uh, it's just kind of an no. interesting dynamic. And, and how much do you know about some of those guys coming in and where they could fit? No, it is really an interesting dynamic. And, and, you know, you talk about Miles Brooks, Willie Roberts, two kids that came with power from SFA, both played corner. Brooks is a kid uh, that actually committed to Arkansas right up to signing day a few years ago before they dropped him. He ends up falling through the cracks going to SFA. He's, he's a really good player. Uh, I think he's, you know, he's a legitimate talent. And, you know, you never know how these guys are going to adjust uh, when the bullets start flying. But those two guys have really solid springs at corner. Also added Reginald Johnson, another corner from Kahoma Community College. He originally signed with ULL. They, or, yeah, ULL. They signed Jaquelin Morgan, uh, a uh, transfer corner from Arizona. He was an East Texas kid. So they've added four corners. Uh, Cedric Woods is back for year three. Uh, he's played probably 1,500, 1,600 snaps in his career. So, you know, I think right now you look at Brooks, you look at Roberts, you look at Woods. Those are your top three guys. And then you probably have Johnson as your fourth guy, Morgan, a guy with four years of eligibility remaining. He's probably your fifth guy. But you feel a lot better than you did. You know, we're out watching spring practice this past spring, and you got two scholarship corners out there, and the rest are walk-ons. And you're like, oh, my, like this is going to be a long year. But they, they've done a nice job of kind of putting some pieces together. Cecil Singleton uh, is a safety nickel-type corner that they brought in from Miami of Ohio. He's a two-year guy. Uh, added three transfers from Illinois. Uh, Kalen Villanueva is an inside linebacker. DJ Johnson's a defensive end. Uh, then they add Joriel Washington, who's another nickel corner type safety guy that can add some versatility to the defensive side. Hugh Davis, a linebacker, uh, added from Boston College. I mean, the list just goes on and on. Eric Randall, a safety, added from Memphis. They've added so many guys and. You know, you kind of look at the breakdown of all these guys they've added. They aren't one-year guys. And I think that's the one thing that stuck out to me the most as far as they know they got to rebuild the defense, but let's rebuild it as far as let's get better in year one. And then maybe by year two, we're kind of ready to roll uh, to become one of the upper echelon defenses within the conference. But uh, it's definitely been a remake on that side of the ball. There, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, I think that's interesting just on the on the transfer front with the the guys who have multiple years of eligibility. I think we saw this. We saw this at Rice with the COVID, the COVID year made things interesting from a transfer standpoint because you guys had guys that you know for the most part throughout FBS were able to bank that year and still play, and then 
you know, have maybe one more year into the belt. So you've got Rice is bringing in guys that are their third year of college football. They only have one year counted against them and have the multi-year eligibility left. It's kind of a, a, a skipping the first year college football freshman adjustment period uh, yeah. and, and, and doing it and stretching it out versus that one year, the grad but, guy. I think you've seen that across the board. Yeah, and I think you look at it from Louisiana Tech's point of view. Obviously, you got a new head coach with, you know, Sonny Cumbie. It's like there's not a whole lot of pressure in year one. So it's like, you know, if you do have, you know, a season that doesn't go necessarily as you expected where you win three, four games where it's like, all right, but we got all these guys that have been in our system. We've established this culture. We feel good about, you know, where we're at at spots X, Y, Z. You know what I'm saying? And so – you can kind of see some glimpses of the future throughout year one where you're competitive on the field, but you're also moving forward to really start, uh, you know, possibly competing for a, a legitimate conference championship in 2023. So that's the one thing that stuck out to me the most defensively is just the, the transfers and the years of eligibility that they've added. And then the other thing that stuck out to me is, you know, last year, 2020 as well, we saw a more, conservative style on the defensive side. If it's third and eight, let's play at the sticks. Let's let them throw it seven yards. Let's see if we can miss a tackle and give them a first down. Well, this this defensive coordinator, Scott Power, he's coming at you. And if you can beat him down the field, you can beat him down the field. But he believes in taking the ball away and forcing lost yardage play. So I think that, you know, when you talk to Louisiana Tech fans about exciting brands of defensive football, which is so hard to play, in this era of college football, th- that's kind of the the mindset that they remember going back to 2014 when Manny Diaz was here. It was like, you might throw the ADR touchdown, but if you do, your quarterback also got hit under his jaw. So uh, we'll see if he stands in there the next time. And so they, they kind of like to see more of an attacking style of defense, which is what uh, Bulldog fans will hopefully see this season. Which is interesting, contrasted with the offensive scheme that they're bringing in. You have, everybody's already started running miles and miles, right, in off-season conditioning yep. on both sides of the ball mm-hmm. so they can keep up with this. Well, and, and too, I'll tell you this. This is an interesting story. You know, so Sonny Cumbie hires Scott Powers as defensive coordinator. The, the two guys did not have any previous relationships other than SFA traveled out to Texas Tech this past season. Cumbie felt like he had all kinds of issues moving the football against Stephen F. Austin, and that's what attracted him to Scott Power. So uh, that kind of dynamic, which is very interesting, we don't see often in college football coaches. They like to hire guys that they're familiar with. Cumbie hired a guy in which he wasn't all that familiar with outside of he had a very difficult time and moving the football against him. So I think that dynamic of it's interesting. Marcus Walker is also hired as the cornerbacks coach. He came from SFA, uh, had two holdovers from the Holt side or from the Holt staff on the defensive side with Anthony Camp and Paul Turner. So it's kind of an SFA staff mixed with a couple of La Tech guys, and they're kind of mixing it together. And I'm just interested to see what it's going to look like. Like you said, with an, with an offense that's going to play with a tremendous amount of pace, but a defense also that really wants to attack you and try to, you know, force those low yardage plays when they might be on the field a lot uh, certain games if, you, if you're not really clicking offensively. And it's it's interesting because it's you were talking about expectations and it kind of sets up 
those are two two style and an offense and a defense that are going to put a bunch of risk onto the field and moving so quickly on both sides of the ball that things could go really really well or they could go really 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 not well and with a first first year head coach and a a new scheme everything adjusting like there's going to be an adjustment period i know in in college football today i mean what five years ago it was like oh you bring somebody in you get five years like maybe you know well four definitely three now it's like oh well you get one year and then you gotta figure it out um yeah what's i I know we we preach about rational fan bases in conference usa and in ruston (laughs) but all of us is so rational 100 percent of the time Yeah, as as far as reasonable expectation, you know, that's one thing I haven't thought a whole lot about. The the thing that I think about the most with this team is you look at the non-conference schedule. You start the season on the road at Missouri. It's a Thursday night uh, prior to week one. I think we can all imagine it's going to be rocking in Columbia. It's an SEC atmosphere, first game of the season. Everybody in the SEC thinks they're going to win a national championship. Missouri will probably end up five and seven. But – It's going to be a great environment. Week two, you come back home, you open the home slate, you play SFA. Week three, uh, perhaps the biggest game of the year if you're Louisiana Tech, you're traveling to Mobile to take on an improved South Alabama team while you got Clemson looming the next week. So if you win that week three game against South Alabama, it's like, all right, we're two and one. We'll punt on the game up at Clemson. You're not going to go on the road and beat those guys. But you're two and two after conference play, and it's like, all right, like we're we're in a decent spot. Like I said earlier, to maybe get to six or seven wins because you look at conference USA as a whole this year. Outside of UTSA, maybe UAB. Like there's going to be a lot of fifty fifty games across the schedule for all teams in the league, whether it's Rice, whether it's Tech, whether it's Charlotte, whether it's North Texas. You could, we could all make arguments as far as why each other would beat the other's team. And so for Louisiana Tech, the biggest thing for me, and you talked about that growth period, if they can figure out a way to win that road game at South Alabama, I think there's a decent chance that they could find themselves playing in a bowl game in December, which you would have to consider year one a success. Now, if you won three games, is it a a massive abject, abject failure? I don't think so, but if you're looking at the positives, all positives, I think that would be uh, the, the kind of the ceiling for this team would be maybe six, seven wins. Yeah, it's interesting. South Alabama has uh, been known to cause trouble in, in Conference USA fan bases in recent well, years. So that's an interesting. Well, they did. And, and I know you're, you're mentioning Southern Miss, and I don't really have a whole lot of good to say about those guys. But well, I figured we know, could take a shot if there was nobody here to defend themselves. Well, they don't have a whole lot of people that defend themselves anyways. They just want to go to Sunbelt and shorter travel and so they can have fun playing Troy. But, you know, Tech played a two-game series with with South Alabama, I believe it was 2017 and 2018. And, you know, you you see some of these matchups and it's like, to the fan, it's like, oh, we're playing South Alabama, blah, blah, blah. We're not getting fired up for this game. But then you get in the game and, like you said, like it's a tight game and it's like, man, like from Louisiana Tech's perspective, you know, especially back then when South Al wasn't that good, it's like we're about to lose to these guys. But it's like, yeah, like they, they've kind of enhanced their program. They got a brand new stadium, blah blah blah. And so 
Like th- that game for Louisiana Tech, like you said, they've given teams fits over the last couple of years. I think it's such a big game, but it's also a game that's going to fly under the radar. It's like, oh, La Tech on the road at South Alabama. Ah, who really cares? But it- it's a big game from Louisiana Tech's perspective. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I think it's just going to be interesting. I think this is one of the one of the really interesting storylines in in Conference USA because you know we we talked about it off the top. There's uh, the realignment, who's staying, who's going, and everyone's getting caught up. And I think there's been a lot of conversations I've seen about the teams going off. And you know, what does that mean for their programs and their trajectories? But especially, I think for what CUSA, are we on three now? I guess yeah, is it this yeah. current iteration two point who knows at this point? Yeah, Final editions. We'll call Judy and ask her. <laughs> it's called, we might be on hold for a while. Um, yeah, true. Sorry, Judy. I guess I don't have to do that in a while. We move on. But anyhow, uh, the new iteration of CUSA, I think it's interesting because, you know, there's the shifting of the power dynamics because it had been UAB's world for the past couple of years. FIU had had a couple of good years. UTSA might be becoming a thing, but I think the there's an interesting you know what comes next in 2023 and beyond for the teams coming into conference usa because you you got sam houston coming up uh new mexico state uh, jacksonville state liberty uh it's gonna be you know finding out who's the top dog so to speak so in a sense louisiana tech has that that one year trial period before i guess the, the real race starts no, I think that's a very good point that you say. And I misspoke earlier. Louisiana Tech actually traveled to Clemson week three before traveling to South Alabama week four. Then they start conference play. But they, they nonetheless, they got to get through two and two in non-conference play. But back to your question, that, that's a good point. If you can kind of create some momentum heading into 2023, whether you're Louisiana Tech, whether you're a team like Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee, I think, those are probably the three schools that have the best chance to do that. I don't know if FIU, you know, they're not, they're at a spot where they're clearly rebuilding. Um, you know, you can build some momentum. And obviously, Liberty comes in. They're, they're, we know how good uh, that they're going to be as long as they're continuing to pour in millions and millions of dollars and Hugh freezes there. Uh, I think there's, from Louisiana Tech's perspective, I know a lot of people want to bag on Louisiana Tech. And they missed out on the AAC. They missed out on the Sun Belt. What, whatever conference you're a fan of, the one thing that you know, and you guys have have realized this as well, when Conference USA went to that 14 team model, it became so difficult from a TV perspective because you were spreading the money around. And and I don't know if that was because there's 14 teams. Is that because kind of the the market shifted from a TV rights standpoint? It's probably a combination of both, but Tech's fans at this point, I don't know if they're just trying to make the best of a, a bad situation, which we obviously can all agree on that, but it's just like, all right, there's only 10 mouths to feed. The top two teams are going to the conference championship. Uh, who knows what, you know, I doubt New Mexico State's any good, but Sam Houston, maybe they're an FCS power. Maybe they turn into the next coastal. Maybe, you know, maybe uh, Jacksonville State turns into one of these the next app state, you know, there's kind of some hope in that respect as far as, you know, we're smaller, we're not as big, we can kind of see how this thing plays out over the next few years, and who knows, maybe down the road, Louisiana Tech does jump back into the AAC, which 
in my opinion, why do we go through all this conference realignment if everybody's going to end up back with everybody else? But uh, (laughs) it's kind of crazy how it's all played out. But I think Louisiana Tech, you make a good point. They they need to work on building some momentum after a couple of down years from their, you know, from what they had established in prior years in 2020 and 2021 and kind of get it back moving in the right direction. It's kind of we, it feels like we're entering into something totally different. Uh, from a college football standpoint, whether that be over the next five years, 10 years, 15 years, I I think we all kind of wonder what that might look like. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I I think that and it kind of helps having, I guess, clarity on on the the conference piece going into this season, because, you know, at at some point it was just kind of like, oh, we'll figure out when we get there. And I was like, no, it's happening. So now everybody can actually make decisions uh, whether that's, you know, coaching or personnel or, or any of that on the results of this season. So uh, 2022 is, is going it's going to be interesting in Conference USA. I don't know if it's going to be good or bad, but it will be interesting. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And like I said, you know, outside of UTSA, when you look at it from a 2022 standpoint, it's like there's a bunch of teams that are kind of bunched together and. You know, I, I, I think UTSA, and you mentioned earlier, they have a lot of momentum right now. But I also don't think that, like, when you get into the AAC here in a year, or 2023, I don't think they're about to start knocking off SMU, Memphis, Tulsa, you know, Temple, you know, even Temple with, with some regularity until they really establish themselves within that community as far as an on-campus football stadium, on-campus basketball facility you know what I'm saying like I think there a lot of that stuff kind of shows up even further when you get into some of these conferences that can compete with you money wise and so um, I'm just to be quite honest with you it was all such a whirlwind back in the fall that it it almost felt like daily a a lot of tech fans like oh we're going to AC we're going to this it's like do we really even know like you know like I don't think we all really had a clue until it's like, all right, these six schools are going here. And then it's like a few months later, like Southern Miss is begging to go play ULM in the Sun Belt. And it's like, all right, like, let's let's figure it out. So I, I don't know. It's all crazy to me how it's all played out. Man, it is every year. All right, before we let you go, uh, we do got to run you through the lightning round. Some questions, right, uh, same as we did. Uh, you joined us last year, I believe. And then a, a couple new ones scattered in. Um, all right, let's hear it. We promise to make them marginally difficult. Uh, at best. Okay. Uh, we don't have a drum roll. But, uh, here we go. So, Louisiana Tech, who leads the team in touchdowns this year? Ooh, I'm going to say Smoke Harris. I'm going to say. All right, have it on the other side. T- who leads the team in sacks? Sacks. Give me Deshaun Hall. Breaks out in year four, a guy that has a lot of talent, uh, just hasn't put it, really put it fully together from a pass rushing standpoint, give me Deshaun Hall. Okay. That might may or may not lead into the next question. Uh, what's who's a Louisiana tech player. That's not going to be on any preseason all conference lists, uh, but probably should be. Ooh, it's a really, really good question. I'm going to say miles Brooks, the corner set or corner from SFA. Uh, I was really impressed with him back in the spring, a, a kid, six, one, six, two, uh, physical, at corner kind of, uh, fits that style that Scott Power likes to play on that side. I think he's going to be a really good corner in Conference USA for the next couple of years. 
Okay, well, a couple more team questions. Uh, rookie of the year. Ooh, so young guy that impresses the most. Hmm, that's a really good question. Young guy. See, they didn't sign a whole lot of. I'm gonna say. Yeah, I was gonna say, did you even sign? Did y'all even sign any high school players this year? Yeah, they signed. How, how many high schoolers uh, did Tech sign? That is actually. I, I think it was about eight or nine, so it obviously wasn't eight many. Nine. That's got to be the among the lowest in CUSA. Yeah, it, it was a very, very low number. Actually, you know what? I'm going to say John Locke, the tight end uh, out of, uh, I believe he's around the San Antonio area, 6'4", 230, kind of under the radar, uh, visited at the very end. I've heard some really good reviews on him uh, in the early going of, of some of the stuff that they've been doing this summer. I'm going to say John Locke, tight end. That's crazy. Internet. I, I see thirteen letter of intents. I think these might be all high school kids. Man, that's crazy. Okay, uh, but that's the new world we live in, right? Okay, it is. It is. All right. Now, maybe an easier one. Uh, team MVP. Team MVP. I'm gonna say. I know the popular choice is probably Tyler Gross, <laughs> but I'm gonna say B.J. Williamson at safety. Uh, he was a kid that was all-conference, first-team guy in 2020. Uh, had dealt with some injuries in 2021. I think he comes back on the radar at safety here in 2022 and not only becomes an all-conference guy, uh, but I think he ends up being drafted in next uh, – what do they have to draft? Late April? Next April's draft. He, he's got that type of talent if he puts it all together. Okay. And then uh, expectation-wise, uh, what do you think? Uh, Conference USA finish for Louisiana Tech. I'll, I'll give you three buckets. Uh, top of the conference, middle of the conference, or at the bottom? I won't say in the middle. Uh, I think they're play eight conference games. I think they're a four-and-four four type conference team, maybe, maybe three-and-five. Um, you know, like I said earlier, you look at some of these games that you could possibly win, uh, UTEP has to travel to Ruston, North Texas. Uh, they're probably in a similar boat as Louisiana Tech. I know that, you know, Seth's got to win a lot more from an expectation standpoint. But talent-wise, uh, you know, they could potentially beat Rice, potentially beat Charlotte, potentially beat uh, FIU, potentially beat Middle Tennessee. Uh, some of those types. Well, I think they go three and five, four and four, middle, middle of the pack in the conference. All right, this is, we're going to start – once we accrue all these, we're going to have a problem because everybody's going to finish in the middle of the conference so far by what we've heard. <laughs> that's, I was going to say, that feels like a – that felt like a very, like, what, 90% of CUSA thinks when they look at their conference schedule every year. It's like, eh, I mean, could be. <laughs> well, maybe. Shoot, outside of know. FIU, like, I feel like most people would say FIU is probably going to win maybe one, two conference yeah. games. Like, uh, yeah, maybe. I agree. I think yeah. everybody else is kind of saying, well, won't everybody else have – three to five conference wins and somebody will get six. I feel like yeah, that one year where terrible. like nine teams in the ACC had like three to five wins or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's and, and listen, it, it could be that way, you know, you, you, or you could have the one school like a UTSA that kind of runs away with it. And then everybody else in the middle pack from two to, was there 11 teams this year, two to 10 beat up on each other. And FIU finished at the bottom. I, I don't think that, scenario would surprise me all that much all right then uh second to last your pick to win conference usa you had to pick one mm, not saying utsa because i don't like them very much uh, i'm gonna say dark <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna say dark horse western kentucky 
I think they did some good things in the offseason. Obviously, a lot depends on Daigie, the quarterback. But uh, I think Western Kentucky's kind of got it back on track a little bit, and uh, they'll, they'll be successful here in, in uh, 2022. I'm going to build Tyson Helton a statue if he goes and get Bailey Zappi, NFL quarterback, and then wins conference in his, what, third year? Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't oh, that man. be something? <laughs> That's actually kind of fitting for this league. Okay. Yeah, and then, right. Last one. Uh, who is going to be employed at their current job longer? Sonny Cumbie or Will Hall? Ooh, man. You just had first, a nine-year head coach, right? Yeah, first off, Will Hall. Not a big fan of Will Hall. This um, is Southern Miss head coach, just for the record. Yeah, this not a huge fan of Will Hall. Um... Longer at their universe. I'm going to say Will Hall. And I'm going to say that because he's not going to get out of Hattiesburg and Cumbie's going to move up into the P5 ranks. All right. I guess we'll see. Nobody really knows, right? No, they don't. We don't. We don't. We'll find I mean, where's, out. Where, where's Will Hall going to go? You know, Tulane? No, no, not many people like the Golden knows, Eagles. Man. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Tulane. He's going to – I mean, Lane Kiffin's going to bolt at some point. Ole Miss – I guess Louise, LSU wouldn't hire in-state. They let Napier go. Was Mississippi uh, any kinder? Uh, well, no. Uh, he's got a long <laughs> – Well, what I can tell you is the Southern Miss people would be real upset if they lost to Colt. The, the, there, there is not uh, – uh, I, I, I don't think there's any love lost between uh, Southern Miss and the P5 schools in that state. Yeah, this no, is a baseball season, and they're still still hurting. That is very true. That is very true. All right. Well, that's all we got. We do got to let you um, drop what you're working on now, I guess, in, in June, and, and what's coming up, where we can get uh, plugged into, you know, one of the uh, interesting stories in, in CUSA, the, the, the rebirth of Louisiana Tech. Yeah, you can get on over bleedtechblue.com. It's just nine ninety five a month. Uh, of course, we're a part of the Rivals Network. Uh, Louisiana Tech, uh, like you said, tries to get back, kind of moving in the right direction from a football standpoint. Of course, we're what are we? A couple weeks from uh, July. Uh, August camp will be here uh, before we know it. And, uh, of course, just like we do each and every year, bleedtechblue.com will cover uh, fall camp throughout its duration as. Louisiana Tech prepares for a season opener on September the 1st at Missouri. So come on over and join us, bleedtechblue.com. We're going to be there before we know it. I'm speaking into it, it into existence. We sure will. All right. Uh, I think that'll do us, do it for us uh, this week. Thanks so much to Ben for hopping on with us. Uh, we will see you all back again uh, sometime soon as we continue our uh, previews for the upcoming season and uh, Rice Fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.